Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Nothing is Real, a Beatles podcast, is powered by Acast. Welcome to Nothing Is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. Everybody thinks they know the Beatles, but how much do we really know? My name is Jason Carty. My name is Stephen Cockcroft. And we're live on tape from Dublin and Belfast. Today we're going to answer that most contentious of Beatle questions. Who was the fifth Beatle? We're going to answer it conclusively once and for all. No, we're not really. This is one of these conversations that never ends. We're going to look into the question in detail uh, and you can maybe make up your mind for yourself. But it's a difficult one to answer, isn't it, Stephen? Who was the true fifth Beatle? It is. I mean, everyone sort of instinctively has has a name that pops into their head. Uh, your name won't be the same as my name. And once you start to delve into it, there are dozens of candidates. Yes. And so what we've kind of been thinking about is that, you know, maybe in the future we need to look at, you know, sixth, seventh and eighth Beatles. There's a whole ecosystem of people around the Beatles who each are worthy of discussion and looking at their role in the story. Uh, but today we're going to look at in particular, people who played with the Beatles as fifth Beatles. And maybe towards the end, we're going to look at the Brian Epstein, George Martin axis of things as well. Um, But this notion of a fifth Beatle, at the start, you know, by the end of 63, I think it's Tony Barrow and with the Beatles who comes up with fabulous foursome, the Fab Four, this notion that there's four of them. Um, But then I think the, the fifth Beatle term comes when they get to the US and it's Murray the K who's often coined, labeled with coining the phrase. Yes, George Harrison uh, dubbed Murray the K, who was a New York disc jockey, uh, as as being the the fifth Beatle. Um, Murray the K was very involved in promoting them, and uh, I suppose it was a little sort of accolade. Um, but Murray the K picked that up and ran with it, and that that I think just became his permanent calling card. So he is the fifth. Yeah, it's kind of like his, it's in his Wikipedia page. It's it's yeah, it's, it's so. what people think about when they think like the whole. The only reason we're discussing Murray the K today is that somehow he managed to get himself called the fifth people. Yeah. But we're gonna and, and, and yeah. that's the end of end of the episode. <laughs> well, no, we are going to state for the record the fifth Beatle is definitely not Murray the K. And in our in our ranking of which Beatle he was, maybe he's in the seventies. No. I don't know. He's seventy. He's he's, he's in the he's, yeah. He's definitely in the top one hundred. <laughs> um, but uh, it's not Murray the K. So perhaps what we might look at first is people who could genuinely say that they were Beatle number five. They were the fifth Beatle. And the original fifth Beatle was when they were a five piece. And the first person we should look at is Stuart Sutcliffe. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, people tend to forget that there was a period where there were five Beatles. Yeah. Um, so are we coming to the end of the episode again? Um, no, this is not okay. how this works. Okay. <laughs> So you know, you, you know, Sutcliffe is drafted into the band. Um, not much of a bass player. Um, that's a 
a whole other story perhaps but um how he gets to be in the band and and, and his role and the sort of um uh, the sort of personality issues there and the dynamic between him and the rest of the band and but he is there on stage uh, in Hamburg uh, playing the bass, a uh, fairly rudimentary bass, yeah. um, probably because no one else wants to do that job. And it's interesting because the legend is that, you know, as you say, he was in art school with Lennon. He was an artist. He he, he won a, or he didn't win. He got paid a substantial sum of money for one of his works. And he's convinced by the Beatles, I think it's 75 pounds to spend that on a bass. Mm. And he's the bass player in a five-man Beatles. So he is the fifth Beatle, or he's, he's one of the five Beatles um, when Pete Best is still the drummer. And, you know, what's interesting in this story is the Beatles are kind of bringing him in, not because of his musical skills, which is interesting, because you could say that John brings in Paul and John brings in George yeah. because of pure musical skills. But this is a, a style decision, that Stuart Sutcliffe was the first stylistic decision that the Beatles made as a band. I think so, and it's it's it's, it's hugely influential. Um, it's, it's interesting to, to speculate how much they appreciated that at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, when he first joins the band, he's dressing the same. He's dressed in leathers. He's he's got the sunglasses. He's got the hair swept back. He's he's certainly he's the coolest person on that stage. Yeah. Um. He exudes a certain art school, uh, cool. Um. But yes, he he becomes increasingly uh, important in the image of the band. Yeah. But but you're absolutely right. He's he's the first and arguably the only person who's ever in the band other than on merit. Um, yeah. He's there because he is part of he's Lennon's group, and there is a dynamic. There is a very strong friendship. Yes. Between well, that's just it. Two. Friendship is true. You know, like you know, a lot of people talk about you know when the when when the Beatles hit big in '64, the, the dynamic was that they seemed to be friends with each other, that they were a unit. And so yeah. this was having Stuart Sutcliffe in the band was this notion of, well, actually, we need to be friends or we need to be a unit, as I said, plus this aspect of style. And it, it kind of brings the notion of the Beatles as a group. He, he, he is a really important role in kind of codifying what that means, that it's, it's that there's, there's an essence beyond just the musicianship itself. I think so. I think that's exactly it. And um, the, the, you know, he he and Lennon that there's there's books, uh, episodes to be done, books to be written just on that relationship. Yeah. So how, how close a relationship must they have had that Lennon was prepared to say, you can come and be in this gang. You have to be part of this gang. You can't play. You you, you don't have any musical talent. It, it Sometimes you see it written about as if it was a purely mercenary decision. You know, he had the money. He could afford to buy the, you know, don't spend it on a holiday. Don't spend it on art materials. Spend it on a base because that, that will help the band out. But that, that can't be the only reason. It, it can't be as mercenary as that. Yeah, there is this kind of mercenary aspect. But, you know, if you change the, the how you look at it and you say the band needs him, like if Lennon says, no, this band needs Stuart in it. Um, and then you kind of, with the, the grand scope of things, you can say, yes, it, it was really important that he was in the band. And he did become the bridge between, you know, what they got out of the the German, the artistic side of the German experience, you know, their their exposure to Astrid and co. And, mm -hmm. you know, which led to the photographs and the haircuts and all that kind of stuff that you could argue that maybe that might not have happened or might not have happened to the way that it did if Stuart hadn't been in the band at that time for that time. Yes, there's a certain aesthetic that he brings. Yeah. 
and and that's amplified whenever uh, he and Astrid uh, get together in in, in Hamburg, and uh, you you know you look at the photographs um, that she took at the time, mm. and the, the the camera her camera loves the band, yeah. but particularly particularly loves Stuart, yeah, and um, you know there is just this this aesthetic that he brings, and again he's fundamental in that shift away from the leather clad. Teddy boy, uh, sort of greased up hair, rocker image, mm. um, and moving them to the comb down hair, the mop top, that sort of exy, that existential uh, look. Yeah. That 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 uh, he was really the, the the conduit for that, yeah. I suppose. Um, so musically, you know, he's not contributing a lot musically. Um, there's some speculation as to that there is no recording. I think yes. Uh, so I'm sure someone will correct me on that. Um, but there's no recording of Stuart singing or playing, and he with the band. You know, there are some of the demo tapes and the early rehearsals in in you know Paul McCartney's father's house that you can hear a voice speaking. But I don't. I think I'm right in saying there's no recording of Stuart's voice uh, anywhere. So he's sort of this uh, spectral presence yeah um, hugely hugely important early on yes. um and and if you think about it given that he didn't uh sort of play with the band on, on recordings or he, he he there are those photographs but otherwise he he should just disappear from history and it's the testament to him and his impact and his his influence yes that he he still is a crucial part of 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 the development of the band absolutely absolutely and you know it's you know, the, the story I'm sure anyone listening to this podcast knows is that he stays behind in Hamburg in 61 when the Beatles go back to Liverpool and he, he uh, you know, becomes a couple with Astrid and he dies from a brain hemorrhage uh, a number of months later, uh, very tragically. But as you say, you know, it's you, you don't want to romanticise these things, but there is this myth that's come up around Stuart yeah. Sutcliffe ever since. And, uh, uh, you know, what might have been, um, you know, this is now 2020 and obviously Astrid has passed away recently as well. And you got to see what, what a long tale of influence and impact she had with her work and how she reintegrated with the the Beatles, you know, once they became hugely famous. Yeah. It's this point that we've touched on before that the story is almost too perfect. Mm. You have this cast of characters that come in exactly at the right time. Mm. So, Astrid is is that influence. You know, she is documenting. There, there can be no other band that has that portfolio of of uh, you know visual material from from such an early embryonic stage. Yes, no um, one was doing Hasselblad photography no. of Rory Storm and the Hurricanes. That's true. No, no. Um, but Stuart Sutcliffe is a potential fifth Beatle because the Beatles were five people at the time. We should probably talk about somebody else who was in the five man Beatles and subsequently the four man Beatles, which was Pete Best. Pete Best yep. was the original mainstay drummer of the Beatles and played with them in both Liverpool and Hamburg. And Pete Best is almost complete other side of the coin to Stuart Sutcliffe. We still, we've gotten to see how the Pete Best story has unfolded over the last 60 odd years. And, you know, as a, as a, as a late game goal, he's becoming quite entertaining on Twitter in the last 12 or 24 yes, months. Yes. Yeah. Um, does Pete Best get to say, oh, well, I'm the fifth Beatle? Well, you know, I think he's as good a claim 
as Stuart Sutcliffe. He was an official member of the band. Uh, you know, right up, he, he recorded with them. Um, so we have that material available. Yeah. Uh, so to that extent, the, the, there's a, there's an audio uh, record of, record what, he's of, of what he's done. Um, you know, so I think he, Pete, Pete Best is, it's as a, as a character or as a player, I suppose you also always have to have the slightly sort of uh, tragic comic figure, and and there is this notion that uh, whereas Stuart Sutcliffe is a genuinely tragic uh, figure in in the story, Pete Best is the sort of unfortunate one. Yes, he, he he's the one that just you know you get within uh, striking distance of the prize, and suddenly it's it's snatched away. And th- there's a lot of um, I suppose lingering ill feeling there yes uh or or at least a sense that none of the other four ever wanted to look in that particular corner of the room yeah um you know once once it was done once pete was gone they never uh, uh sort of looked again I, I think i've read where pete is saying since since that time he hasn't spoken to any of them yeah i find that really strange well i do and i don't i mean what's interesting is that you know you could argue that pete best has had to deal with what, you know, uh, John, Paul, Ringo and George were dealing with uh, later on, which is being out of outside of the Beatles. They just mm. John, Paul, George and Ringo were doing it with millions in the bank. But, yes. but they basically realised that, you know, the, Pete Best wasn't going to get away from it in one way and none of the others were going to get away from it in a way either. No, um, but as you say, they had the... They had they they to some extent you know they had they, not only did they have the money and the fame but they also they they had the sort of infrastructure around they had the organisational uh, well, sort of support. They weren't a punchline as well. You do feel that Pete Best gets kind of you know he he he's you, you know it's almost a, an adjective at this point. Oh, you know he got Pete Bested from the band. You know or I'm you know someone like off the top of my head, I'm thinking of someone like some huge, hugely talented, like Stephen Tintin Duffy, who was kicked out of Duran Duran just before they became famous. You know, oh, he was the Pete Best of that. But it, it, it becomes like a yeah. Pete Best becomes, as you say, it's another one of these things that's part of the story where, you know, Pete Best becomes a thing to be a Pete Best in a situation. Yeah. It's a, it's a trope. It's like, yeah. it's, it's, you know, you've, you, you, you know, it's always the, the, the girlfriend who breaks the band up is Yoko, and yes. the, the the one who gets sacked on the cusp of success is a Pete Best, yes. and 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 you you know it's it's it it must be just have been impossible to deal with. Yeah. Um. And to be fair, uh, you know, as you say, recently, um, he's got quite the social media presence. He's been quite funny. He's 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 entertaining. But I mean, certainly for years, that was a huge yes. uh, uh, issue. Um, it, you know, if you if you if you watch this, the uh, is it Snodgrass, the David Quantic? Oh, yeah. Play where, where, where the conceit there is that Lennon left the band. Yes. Uh, just before the height of their success, and is 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 sort of is is constantly haunted by that. Um, uh, so I think you can find that on YouTube. And it it it, you know, he legitimately can say he was in the Beatles. So well, he talks about that on like first of all, he's involved with the uh, the newest Beatles museum in, in Liverpool at the minute. He, yeah. he runs that with Roag Best, who's his half brother, whose dad is Neil Aspinall, which is a whole other story. And there's a podcast in that. 
Um, but yeah, some of the funny things he said on Twitter, because because you look back and you look at interviews with him through the years, there's a very interesting interview with him from the mid 80s and he's on Dave Letterman. And you kind of think, well, actually, there's not much that he has to say, except I was kicked out of the Beatles. Like this, yeah. this, once you get and even recently, he was on an Irish talk show uh, a couple of months back. And once you get past the first couple of minutes, you could argue, well, there isn't an awful lot more to the story, you know? No, I mean, and, and he, he sort of fated to to. That's his fate. That's yeah. to be. That's the one question. Yeah, you know the the all the questions are always going to be about that that one particular period. And um, you know, Ringo says he's not interested in writing an autobiography because people only want to know about the sort of seven eight years that he was with the Beatles. Yeah. Pete Pete Best. All they want to know about is literally the thirty minutes he was in the room yeah. with Brian Epstein. Well, that 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 becomes the focus I, of it, every interview, every question. And it's interesting, like, so some of the things he said on Twitter recently was, you know, the, the Beatles official account tweeted out, you know, what got you into the Beatles? And Pete Best said, well, Paul rang me up and said, do you want to get into the Beatles? So yeah. that's quite funny. I mean, it's... It was quite funny. And then the Beatles account retweeted it, yeah. so... <laughs> and that's the only contact. That's the closest that's the only he's gotten contact. to getting back to the Beatles. The... But he does get a, a seven-figure check around about anthology time because he's, he does, he's but... finally on a Beatles recording he's you could yeah. say not only was he a fifth beetle for a while he is on a record playing drums on a number of tracks and that record is by the beatles yeah oh no ab- ab- absolutely uh but then at the same time they they produce on the album uh cover oh yes that they, they they which is a that was an unnecessary so for people that don't know there's a photograph of the of the beatles with the lineup with uh, pete best and they have torn uh, his head off, off on the cover of anthology um, in that poster look. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you, you, as you say, there's a long fallout. There's a huge tale to this. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is this notion that they never spoke to him again. Yes. And he said on a number of occasions, you know, I, I, I would like to have that conversation with Paul and, and I'd like to have that. Co- I'm sure it's the last thing Paul wants to do. And yeah. it's, I'm sure it's not something that Paul, wakes up every morning and feels bad about, um, uh, you, <laughs> Pete, you know, yes, having yeah. got rid of Pete. Um, the twist on that, I like to think that, that, that Pete has, you know, found his place Yes, because he, he released an album last year, 2019 called, uh, Heyman's Green. Yes. And the cover is the missing piece of the photograph from, from the cover of the right. anthology album, and 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 I, I sort of like to think that was done uh, w- with a degree of humour and a, a sort of self-deprecation. And I think uh, you know you get a sense that perhaps he's he he is in a good place and has come to terms with 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 everything. Hopefully so. So Pete Best, potential fifth Beatle. He was there when the Beatles were a five-piece, but Stuart Sutcliffe left, and he was there when the Beatles were a four-piece, so he, you could argue he was the fourth Beatle for a while. But also, while the Beatles were a four-piece with Pete Best in Hamburg, a fifth person came along and sang with them, and that was Tony Sheridan. Yeah. Um, now, that's a very tenuous fifth Beatle link for Tony Sheridan. Uh, yeah, but, you know, he they were his backing band. Yeah. Um, uh, they made recordings. Uh, there are more recordings with Tony Sheridan than with Pete Best. Yeah, and Stuart Sutcliffe. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so he records. Uh, you know, he, he's basically. You know, he's he's playing in in Hamburg, and he's he's uh, playing with various backup bands. And uh, so Lennon, McCartney, Harrison, and Best they meet him. I think during their first visit in 1960, yep. and they work with him on their second visit in in 61. And it's Bert Kampfert who's the Producer, the producer, yeah. So, so he he saw uh, 
the, the Beatles on stage. I think Sheridan was already known in Germany. He was he was a, a recording uh, artist there. Um, he he put them together, organized a, a series of, of 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 a couple of recording sessions, and um, this is where my Bonnie and the Saints yes uh, was recorded. And uh, so I think Tony Sheridan and the Beatles. Uh, that's a that's a that, fifth that's Beatle a good, kind of a, thing. Well, that's a well it's also it's another again it's it's one of these things that uh i think you know we don't realize that my bonnie was a bit of a hit it was a top 10 hit in germany yeah, in, in germany in 1962 so you know before the beatles were a thing the almost unbeknown to the beatles in a way that this was a, a hit it didn't really have any impact on them the fact that my bonnie was a hit no uh i mean the the the, the impact is this becomes a, an import. Someone goes and asks Brian Epstein for it, yeah. and the rest is history. Sort of is history. Um, but they're actually credited as the Beat Brothers. Yes, uh, on on that single. Do you want to explain uh, why they're credited as the Beat Brothers and not <laughs> the Beatles? Well, no. <laughs> well, it's the word okay. Beatles is uh, sounds too similar to the German word Beatles, which is a slang term for a part of the body. Yes, and you can you can you can put two and two together there. So they were called well, the that, Beat Brothers. That's, yes, that's that's what Google is for. <laughs> um, so yeah, but again, it's another one of these little things that you could say artistically, my Bonnie means nothing, but yeah, it is the single that uh, you know is looked for in the NEMS shop that Brian Epstein finds out about the Beatles about. So it it does have an important tiny bit. So Tony Sheridan, it, if he is the fifth Beatle, he brought Brian Epstein and the Beatles together. Yeah, uh, as you say, it's 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 uh, you know hindsight is a wonderful thing, but it does just everything just falls into place yeah. that you can see the secret. There's 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 a sort of an uh, almost with hindsight there seems to be an inevitability about the the forward progress of the story, and I think Tony Sheridan is 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 a key part of that. Okay, so let's then look at you know we all know what happens next is that Pete Best gets kicked out, Ringo Starr gets brought in, um, because after the first EMI session Pete isn't good enough, and for the second EMI session the Beatles rock up with Ringo Starr in tow, uh, but George Martin is unaware that this is going to happen, and so when they go in to record Love Me Do, George Martin produces a session drummer. Andy White. And if we're playing the game of, well, if they played with the Beatles on a Beatle record, they're potentially a fifth Beatle. You could say the session drummer, Andy White, he's a fifth Beatle. Yeah, um, absolutely. So Ringo, poor Ringo gets benched yes. uh, on his very first day. And I, I think he's quite open uh, about the fact that he he never really got over that. I mean, he he still, he held it against George Martin. Indefinitely. Forever. I mean, it's, it's like you look uh, at... Yeah. Uh, yeah, you look at recent interviews, you look at the anthology, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it really was a genuine one-off. George Martin did not know Ringo was going to turn up. And they no. had three hours to record a single for this band who had no particular experience in recording singles. Uh, no. So I don't blame George Martin. And he never did it again. <laughs> <laughs> like, he just no. didn't. no. He didn't. No, 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 no. But it, I, I mean, Ringo, Ringo does say that he was trying very hard to impress. Yeah. So he's drumming. He's, you know, he's got castanets or he's got maracas in one hand. He's got a tambourine between his teeth. He's <laughs> kind of, you know, he's he's going all out and just makes does not impress. Um, so it's right. That's it. We're going with the original plan. You're on the bench. You know, shake that tambourine and and. That's but it. That one decision of getting Andy White in to record that that first single. 
I think has this, it's a disastrous little plank or brick in the wall of the notion, the spurious notion that Ringo isn't a good drummer. And I I hate it for that. That drives me crazy. Yeah, that that that's one of the things. If we if we demolish any myth uh, on this podcast, it's it's that notion that Ringo is in any way um, not a superb drummer. Uh, that he's he's less of a musician than anybody else in the band. That's just simply not yeah, but not the case. But I think you're right. This 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 probably is the trigger for that. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, he was bumped off the first session, so therefore he must be a. Uh, not a great drummer yeah but um, you know as we say you know he, he makes up for lost time but Andy White I, I wouldn't you know when I think of who's the fifth Beatle I have to admit Andy White doesn't uh, necessarily pop up as, as top of my list but I guess if we're being no for being pedantic we need to we need yeah to I, th- I, th- I think yeah I think it's more interesting from, from, from the point of view of just that that little thorn and under, under Ringo's skin, Ringo's skin yeah, yeah, and we should mention he he re-recorded uh, "Love Me Do." Yes, well, he first of all he in, re-recorded it with the Beatles on drums. There is with two the Beatles, yeah. Uh, but yep, then he did a yep. solo version, didn't he? He did a solo version in 1998 on the Vertical Man album, and I'm here to tell you it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it but, here first, you know, folks. <laughs> yeah. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, But sticking with drums, then there is, you know, and and this notion of people who have played with the Beatles, uh, we have the fascinating character of Jimmy Nickel. And I find the story of Jimmy Nickel, again, it's another one of these uh, stories in the Beatle universe, which is almost like a warning, you know? Um, Yeah. For people who don't know Jimmy Nickel, what's the the tale of Jimmy Nickel? Uh, Jimmy Nickel... Uh, briefly put, stood in for Ringo on uh, the first eight shows of the 1964 World Tour while Ringo was languishing in hospital with tonsillitis. Um, So this came up, Ringo's illness uh, occurred, and they had to make a decision. Do they cancel the tour? Do they postpone the tour? Do they get somebody else um, in? And... uh, you know, legend would have it that the person who was against getting a replacement is George Harrison. Everyone else is saying, no, no, we'll get we'll get someone else in. You know, it'll be temporary. First few shows, once Ringo goes well, he can join us. That's that's perfectly fine. Um, so, again, it, it's it's difficult to see if it had been the following year. Yeah. Um, yeah, you think they would just have cancelled the tour or they would have postponed the tour. Yeah, but in 1964, you could argue that, you know, again, they are 
accelerating into a into in, into a, an international phenomenon that nobody's really yeah. had to deal with before you know you, you don't even know whether there's going to be a beatles in 1965 and this is it, it it's a short it's short term yeah. no one no one knows is, is this going to last or is it not going to last and uh, you know it's it's what's fascinating and this is referenced in the in craig Grant's recent book one two three four when you see pictures of uh, john paul george and jimmy it just it just jars. He, he, he's, yes, it's not right. It's, it's so not right, and it 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 it's it's really striking. He he plays these eight gigs, and he's he's apparently not even the first choice. They they the other names that stand here are Ray Duvail, which is good, and a guy yeah, called Bobby yeah. Graham, a session man. And depending on how you read the story, either it's Epstein or Paul McCartney or both, who kind of Jimmy Nickel kind of comes into the their universe via. George Georgie Fame, I think, is it? Georgie Fame, yeah. So, so at this point uh, in his career, Jimmy Nickel is playing with Georgie Fame and the Blue Flames, yeah. and um, supposedly it's Paul on one version calls Georgie Fame and says, "You know, will will you lend us your uh, your drummer?" Yeah. So he comes down to the studio and he he rehearses six songs with the band in the studio, yeah. and they didn't record it. <laughs> And you think that you know that that would be an interesting little uh, kind of aside yes. to have a six six song session with 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 them teaching Jimmy how to play like Ringo and uh, yeah and he gets he he gets given a signing on fee of two and a half thousand pounds and he gets paid two and a half thousand pounds per gig and it's twenty seven hours or so yeah. legend goes from getting the phone call to being on stage in Copenhagen playing with the Beatles it's crazy it is crazy and 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 crazy money yeah. Uh, that you know, absolutely crazy uh, uh, money. So, um, and it's it's odd. 13, Thirteen days. You do wonder: is it another chink in the armor of Ringo was replaceable? You know, it's it's it's, yeah. uh, And you kind of feel sorry for Ringo. I mean, I, I I can't imagine what he must have thought. He he, you know, it's when you look at the early days of the Beatles. You know, when Ringo just gets in, he, he's still finding his feet, and now they're top of the world on their first ever tour, and he's not there. What I would say is he must have been thinking these guys have got form. Well, yeah, like they got uh, you know um, they got rid of Pete. They got rid of Pete to go yeah. up one set of stairs, and now they're going up another set of stairs, yeah. and they could just get rid yeah. of me. Yeah. So if it had been this huge success, and 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 you know the fans had been screaming for Jimmy Nickel, he must have been thinking you, you know uh, he was the last one in. Yeah, and it's it's yeah. but what is very striking is you know there is you know, press conference footage and news footage of Jimmy with the other three. And obviously he seems to be intimidated, but he's, he's, I don't mean to be nasty, but he's a bit of a charisma vacuum, you know, he's. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't, it's, it's indicative of just how tight they were as a band. You know, you look at, you look at the press conferences that they give, particularly those sort of American uh, airport press conferences. Ringo is a key player, and everyone thinks you know John is the sort of snappy, fast, you know, quick-witted one. Ringo more than holds his own Absolutely. there, and 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 Jimmy Nickel just is parachuted in, and he is like a rabbit in headlights. Well, um, Ringo also, I think, has a really important role in the Beatles. He's 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 almost an audience within the band. That you know, he, yes, he yeah. knows what the band are before he's in the band, and when he's in the band, he's watching the other three guys all the time, and he's laughing at them. He's he's always, even to this day, he's entertained by the other Beatles. He was the, 
and you know we talked in our Ringo episode that he's he's this kind of glue that the others will 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 come towards he he loves being a fan of the band in a way and he's kind of the internal audience within the four of them he is yeah i mean they they all from time to time will talk about the beatles as being something apart yes uh, from from them as individuals, you know, Beatle George or Beatle Paul, but Ringo uh, frequently does that, and uh, you know, free, free as a bird, he he's listening to, and he said, yeah, it sounds just like them. <laughs> it sounds just like sounds just the it sounds just like the Beatles. Um, so yes, he's he's uh, the, the, I hadn't that hadn't occurred to me before, but yeah, he's he's like the little traveling audience that they they bring with him, but he participates yeah. as well, and his contribution to those press conferences and the sort of the the humor. And that whole early uh, sort of character of the band yeah. is absolutely cr- And you take him out, you drop Jimmy Nickel in, and it's not it's the just same. Not right, but it does give you an insight that right. it wouldn't have been right with Pete Best either. And Jimmy Nickel, he plays the Beatles in Copenhagen. He travels across the world. In, and he's, in fairness to them, they do, it's not like the three of them are doing interviews without Jimmy Nickel. It's like the four of them. No. They do 13 days. And they go across the Netherlands, Hong Kong, they go off to Australia and Ringo rejoins them in Melbourne and they're all delighted to see him. And Jimmy Nickel is turfed. He's just like, okay, they give him a watch, if memory serves, and they send him back to the airport. And there is this shocking photo of Jimmy Nickel sitting on his own in the airport as if to say, what has just happened? Yeah. It's that that is a if you, people should find that photograph. It's incredibly striking, yeah. where it's just this this man sitting on his own, slightly shell shocked. Look, uh, as you say, just what have I been through? And uh, you know, he must be then thinking, I was I was in the Beatles. Yeah. This is going to this is a big thing. Uh, I can capitalize on this. Um, it, I can capitalize on the connection. It does go to but his he head, just though. Looks, it just falls apart after all that, doesn't he? He comes back yeah. to the UK and you know he's he's bankrupt a year later yeah so he he thinks he's he's gonna have a success he forms a band uh there's no real uh, success no one no one's interested and again that must be an incredible shock to go from having tens of thousands of people you know outside your hotel to literally no one cares um and as you say it's a sort of salutary tale it's 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 a warning you 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 get too close to this um it, it it's going to change going to change your yeah. life not necessarily in a good in a, in a good way uh, and the legend is he uh, he inspired the song getting better that that was a a, a jimmy nicholism if there is such a thing yeah yeah so paul would say to him you know well how's it going and he would say oh it's getting better <laughs> and and in in, in the hunter davies uh, biography uh, Hunter Davis re- re- recalls Paul re- recalling this, um, and uh, the next thing this this becomes a trigger for a for a song. Um, he, he becomes a bit and, of a mystery but, man, though, doesn't he? Like, like is he, he alive? Is he dead? Where is he? Yeah, What's he, he he. There's a book. Um, for, for those of you who want to read more about it, there's a book called uh, "The Beetle Who Vanished." by a chap called uh, Jim Birkenstadt was published in 2013, which is a, is a sort of detailed, I get that. I, I read the book. It was very interesting. It was a fascinating story, but I did feel slightly voyeuristic. Uh, there's a slightly stalkerish quality about this yeah. book um, where they're trying to hunt, hunt him down. Um, but there are Beatles connections everywhere. So he's, he turns up at a Dutch Beatles convention in 1984. And in 1994, his son, 
says, uh, you know, he he's died, he's he's passed away. Uh, Mark Lewison, yes. however, re- re- recalls records the fact that he met him in 1995. His son was a sound recordist on the anthology. Know, you can't make it up. It's uh, amazing. You know, he got he got a bath yeah. for that. Um, and the rumor is, but, he, uh, yeah, yeah, the rumor, he's, but he's paparazzi then in the 21st century, isn't he? Yes, he is. He's he's uh, the, the Daily Mail mm. track him down in 2005 uh, to a flat, and uh, it's the, I say there's just something unpleasant about the fact that they're just stalking yeah, this guy. Who, who uh, you know, um, the 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 one little anecdote I want to reference is that John makes reference to him in the letter. Oh, what does he say? Uh, so he said, uh, where they're talking about, they're maybe going to go play a concert somewhere. They're going to go to Tunisia. They're going to go to North Africa. And John says, I think you'll find we're not going abroad because Ringo just said he doesn't want to go abroad. You know, he put his foot down, although Jimmy Nickel might go abroad. <laughs> so they're still, still um, a punchline. Yeah, he's still a punchline. Um, so we're, we're still, I still don't think we've untied this knot of who was the fifth Beatle. But if we're moving on to, you know, people who played with the Beatles, well, there's two further names I can think of when you think of, well, who played with John Paul, George and Ringo. And the first one that might come up is uh, Eric Clapton, who yeah. he plays the solo on Why My Guitar Gently Weeps on the White Album. And that wasn't really particularly known at the time. He certainly doesn't get a credit on the sleeve. No, he doesn't get a credit. Uh, I think in those days, um, you know, the contractual arrangements were such that uh, if musicians are playing on each other's records at the time, they just can't be credited because of label issues or contractual issues. Um, The story there is uh, George brings him in in order to, because he, he can't get the guitar solo. He doesn't feel he can get something right. Plus, it's a slightly fractious atmosphere um in in the studio around the white album and it's this notion that you bring somebody in from outside everybody behaves a little better everybody ups ups their game you bring eric clapton in uh everybody's gonna up their game well it's Um, it is it is that thing that's happening at that time 68 69 particularly clapton is in and out of different bands you know there's cream and blind faith and there's this notion of you know there's a there's a, a coterie of people who could be used and you mightn't think of eric clapton as being a fifth beatle but, you know, as I said, it's kind of in the ether that people are moving around in and out of different bands. And then in January 69, when Harrison walks out of the Get Back, Let It Be sessions, um, you know, Lennon suggests, oh, we'll just get Eric Clapton in. Like, that's the most normal thing yeah. in the world. Yeah. Um, yes. And it's, 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 it is the start. I think you're absolutely right. It is the start of that sort of... Uh, journeyman or sort of jobbing musician mm. you know even amongst the rock royalty you know we've always had session musicians and you, you, you that, that people perform but suddenly you know you can get eric clapton to play on a beatles record or you can get ry cooter will come and play on a stones record or george can get everybody to come on play on all things must pass and there's a sort of a a, a rock aristocracy yeah. That starts to circulate, uh, move around, th- playing on each other's projects in the late sixties, and this is this is probably one of the first really high profile ones. And well, Eric Clapton is probably you know he's 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 probably a standard of that. I mean, he goes on. He I think he appears on every Beatles solo records he, in some form at some point in the future, yep. doesn't he? He's, yep. he's on yes. Cold Turkey, yes. and he's obviously does lots of work with uh, with George. Um, you know, he he's kind of he becomes he, this person who just 
becomes an he expert. Does. He does. He's yeah. He's part. He's part of that uh, that that group of people. I mean, you I say it's almost like a rock aristocracy yeah. uh, that that all date from that uh, that that particular era. He he supposedly was not particularly happy with the solo. Really. Um, so he records the solo. And then, you know, it's fine. He's, but then George says, okay, we're going to uh, make it a little bit beatly. <laughs> and he, they put oh, yeah, that, they put that effect wobble, on it, yes. Uh, that effect on it. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't sound, if you listen to what he's doing at that time with Creed, yes. you know, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like Eric Clapton. He has a very distinctive tone. Mm. Um, you know, not, not to everybody's taste, but, it, but, but they treat this in a way that makes it, you know, the Beatles have to do something different. Well, I remember, you know, buying the, um, you know, the, the Beatles complete kind of sheet music book uh, in the 80s. And it's kind of got a, a like a, an introductory forward about the band. And one of the things that singles out is George Harrison's fantastic guitar solo on While My Guitar Gently Weeps. So even, Excellent. and I think that was originally written in the late 70s. So it's, yeah, it wasn't a, a bit of common knowledge at that time. But cut from the same cloth uh, as Eric Clapton coming into While My Guitar Gently Weeps, we get to someone who from a musician's point of view, really probably has total claim to being a fifth Beatle, and that's Billy Preston. Uh, Billy Preston yeah. brought in, like Eric Clapton, to try and change people's attitudes, up their game, relieve tension, um, and ends up in a totally unique position of getting a credit on a record, the Beatles with Billy Preston. So that that is, yeah. that's almost, you could argue that's as fifth Beatle as it gets. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think that's a that's a pub quiz question is, you know, who, who are the two non-members to receive billing on a, on a Beatles record? And it's Billy Preston and Tony yeah, Sheridan. Yeah, bookending the, um, the, their whole career, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yes, he was he was brought in. Uh, he had met the Beatles when he was touring with part of Little Richard's band back in 1962 in Hamburg. Yeah. Um, uh, he meets them again in 1969. George is at a Ray Charles concert. He's playing the organ when Ray Charles's band and George says, Hey, you know, come back. And, and, and certainly if you look at yeah. him, he never, I've never seen a picture of Billy Preston where he doesn't have a grin <laughs> on his face. I mean, he just, he just seems to be very easygoing, yes. um, very enthusiastic. Um, uh, the, the story is that John Lennon was on the spot, ready to make him a full member of the band. And Paul is kind of going, Whoa, now hang on a minute. You know? Uh, so, so Classic he, Paul. he, 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 <laughs> He came. He came within a, a hair's breadth, shall we say, of uh, um, actually becoming a, a fully signed up. I member. mean, it's it. You know, it, it's a wonderful thing that Billy Preston gets involved with the Beatles because it's certainly not an obvious pairing that you would no. pull someone no. from that. You know, the, the you know the 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 touring world or the musicians' world of being in Little Richard band, playing with Little Richard, or playing with Ray Charles, and then dropping them into the. Beatles it's 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 one of those Beatles serendipity things yeah and it's 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 that uh sort of coincidence of of seeing them right at the start of their career and then he's on the rooftop yeah. playing them playing them out at the end of their career and of course he 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 plays on Abbey Road on a couple of tracks he is signed to the Apple label yeah. uh he works very closely with uh George Harrison uh who who uh, you know produces the two albums that he made there's there's hit singles he records a version of um uh my sweet lord all things must pass so he's right at the center of that whole apple organization uh, uh, uh yeah time. and so from a, a fifth beetle point of view you think well there's a five person group you know there's john paul 
George, yep. Ringo, and Billy. That's the, he's he's playing the role as a, a fifth Beatle, and yeah, it's interesting in the the recent Abbey Road box set to hear him let loose. You know, on um, I want you, she's so heavy. That 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 is a revelation yeah. because that is mixed on on the finished article. That is mixed so low in the mix that you're aware that it's there, but you you can't really appreciate what it is that he's uh, he's he's contributing or what he's and doing. It does, yeah, and it does give you an idea of well, actually, if he if he was a fifth Beatle, like if say in some parallel universe where they went off to tour Abbey Road, um, of course yeah. he'd have been in the band, and and you know he he kind of you know you could argue there's something about the Get Back Let It Be sessions that has a certain kind of sound or vibe, but when you hear him in sort of the Abbey Road, you know, uh, sessions, you know, it's a different type of thing. It's a different type of studio performance. And you're like, oh, actually, this guy really works fantastically well here. Yes, he does. He fits. He absolutely fits right in. And he he went on to work with with you know with Ringo, yeah. with George, with John. Um, he's across their their sort of early seventies solo work. And, and they're all uh, back together again uh, at the concert for George, aren't they? They're they're all at the concert for George. Uh, so at one point on the stage, you have Paul, Ringo, Eric Clapton, Billy Preston, Danny Harris. Yeah, and you don't like to talk about going to that uh, gig. So I don't I don't I don't like to I don't like to I don't like to uh, to yes. mention that. The other the other thing about um, Billy Preston is not only is he the fifth Beatle, he is the sixth stone oh yeah go on then where, where, where does he, he fit he, in in the stones lineage then well he 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 worked extensively with stones uh, live and in the studio between 1971 and 1977 right. so um if you look at those uh, uh the stones have a reissue program yeah. and particularly 1975 uh he's uh, plays on the black and blue album yeah. and there's a song on that called melody um and uh, he he basically it's a duet between Billy Preston and, and Mick Jagger. Uh, it's credited as a Jagger Richard song, but I, I of course I I once uh, maybe ten or twelve years ago I saw Bill Wyman's Rhythm Kings, and they played that song, and he Bill Wyman very pointedly said this is a song that was written by Billy wow, Preston. Wow. Um. So uh. So yeah, he he played with the Beatles. He played with the Stones. He I I also saw him on stage touring as part of Eric Clapton's band. So that's an interesting list of people we've just rattled through there. Musicians who have all, in some form or another, played as a fifth person to the Beatles. That you could argue. So were they fifth Beatles? Is there a particular winner there? I'm not sure. But we're going to make a small segue because the two people who generally get tagged as being fifth Beatles um, are Brian Epstein and George Martin. Now, we think both Brian and George could have podcast episodes of their own and they will happen in due course. But I think you cannot talk about the notion of a fifth Beatle without talking about uh, Brian Epstein and George Martin. And, And I think when push comes to shove, putting aside the the notion of you know this notion oh well they played with the Beatles they're a fifth Beatle you know Brian and George Martin are the the number one heavyweight contenders for the fifth Beatle question aren't they I think so I think so um uh, and you know again to back to the pub question if you ask the man on the street uh, I I would think George Martin is probably the one that would spring to mind um certainly in terms of creative input and you know, we've been talking about musicians. You know, McCartney or uh, George Martin plays on, on numerous uh, Beatles sessions, right from the very first uh, uh, album all the way, 
all the way through. So his his actual musical contribution is is pretty consistent. Plus the arranging, the produce, producing, the 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 uh, arranging. Yes. Um, so I think it's hard to sort of get past that. Uh, George Martin is being. I think you're right. I mean, actually, you know, yeah, we have it on. You know, we have quotes from Paul McCartney saying. Um, if yeah. anyone was the fifth Beatle, it was Brian Epstein. And we also have Paul McCartney quoted as saying, if anyone earned the title of fifth Beatle, it was George Martin. So even Paul... <laughs> he liked, yeah, Paul, Paul can't make his mind <laughs> Paul up. Paul can't either. make his mind up. But um, yeah, I think certainly, you know, Brian Epstein, he was a key fifth Beatle in terms of nailing down what their approach was to show business in nailing down their attitude, their, you know, marshalling their work ethic to get them, getting them to play around the clubs, getting them a recording contract but the key part of Brian Epstein's work as a fifth Beatle is making that connection to George Martin. And if we're sitting here 50 plus 60 years later, the reason those records sound like Beatle records is because of George Martin. That's just it, really. And that's probably, as you yeah. say, the most important thing. I think so. Um, if you If you listen to their contemporaries, particularly in the early 60s, up to sort of 67 or maybe 68. I'm thinking here of The Who and The Kinks and The Stones. The records sound different. Uh, you know, they, they, they are very much artifacts of the 60s. The Beatles have a, have a sound, and whether that's the studio or George Martin, but they just sound different yes. to their contemporaries. They're, they're, they're more polished and they have a modern sound. They 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 don't sound dated, uh, in the way that uh, you know. I mean, I I buy to no one in my respect for Ray Davies as a songwriter and the Kinks as a band. But those there's a very thin production sound to a lot of what yeah. they they those 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 singles. Um, you know, I think George George Martin is absolutely crucial. And as you say, it's it's we we touched on this earlier. It's it's the sort of with hindsight, the inevitability, the forward progress of the story. So you've got um, Brian Epstein coming in off the back of the Tony Sheridan single, uh, and then he is the link to George yeah. Martin. Epstein, uh, uh, one of the things that we we have talked about before is this idea that the Beatles sort of outgrow yes. showbiz. Yes. You know, so when Epstein takes them on, his his main drive is to get them out of the cavern, get them into bigger venues, get them more money, get them uh, looking more professional. Uh, and clearly at that point, I think he can have no other idea in his head than the traditional showbiz yes. model. So he, he comes from a theatrical background. He's, you know, and they, they're touring, they're touring cinemas, they're touring theaters, they're touring small venues. Then suddenly he, he has done his job. And then suddenly it just gets to America and the next thing they're in Shea Stadium and they're playing in front of tens of thousands yeah. of people. Um, and and it's, uh, you know, for all that Brian Epstein gets criticized about the uh, the sort of commercial deals and his lack of business sense and, and, and what have you, there was no roadmap and he is taking them to places where there's yes. no road. Well, I, yeah, and I think, I think you're right. And I think Brian Epstein... You know, he was the best manager for the Beatles. He he loved them dearly. He was very clear and honest with them. Um, but when you look at the whole arc of the story, you know, his 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 death was a, a huge tragedy and changed the whole Beatles story. But you rewind back a little bit more and you start looking at 66 and 67, you know, Brian is 
moving away, he's letting go. Whereas in 66, 67, when the Beatles are ready to ramp up to the next gear, George Martin is like, you, you want to do Revolver? Okay. You want to do yep. Pepper? Okay, I'm I'm here to do it, you know. And uh, even as early as '64, you know, the Beatles are saying in interviews, you know, we can't praise George Martin too highly. He's bubbling over with ideas. He's he's one of us. He doesn't act like a schoolmaster in the studio. They have a a, a great relationship. And if you think of hours of creativity that they spend with George Martin, you know, th- he's probably the person they spend the most time with in the '60s when they're in yeah. their creative Beatle mode. Um, more time with him being creative than certainly with Brian overall, or certainly be, they're never really creative with Brian in that way. Exactly. I mean, I think, uh, again, as one chapter ends, as as the touring ends uh, and they, they move it to being a studio band, Epstein's role is receding and he's, he's sort of almost passing a baton yeah. over. Yeah. And I mean, there is there is the story there where he around that period, he's commenting from, from the... Uh, you know, from the control booth in the studio, make some comments about the music, and uh, Lennon cuts him down by saying, "You know, you you, you do what you do, and we'll do it." Well, speaking we of Lennon, you know, I think Lennon would uh, really despise us having this conversation about Fifth Beatles. You know, he's you know we've got quotes from him talking to Jan Wenner and all that kind of stuff, where he says, "You know, Dick James is one of these people who think they made us, they didn't." I'd like to hear Dick James's music. I'd like to hear George Martin's music. And he writes in a letter, Lennon writes in a letter to Paul at some point, um, you know, uh, when people ask questions about what did George Martin do for you? I have one answer. What did he do now? He's, you know, it's the truth. I'm not putting him down. Uh, uh, you know, Lennon doesn't like this notion of well, you know, the answer, the answer to that is if you, where is George Martin's music? Well, it's all over the second side of the Yellow Submarine soundtrack. And it's actually very good. <laughs> It's very good. And what 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 was he doing in the early seventies? Well, he was having huge hits with yeah, America, he was, uh... Uh, and and produ- producing, uh, going on to produce Jeff Beck. And um, well, maybe maybe so... another good John quote is, "I'm not the Beatles. I'm me." Paul isn't the Beatles. Brian Epstein wasn't the Beatles. Neither is Dick James. The Beatles are the Beatles, and maybe there maybe there aren't really any fifth Beatles. But well, to be to be fair, I think I think John sort of as he was wont to do, rolled back on a lot of those uh, criticisms. Did, and, end, uh, you know, but um, he, so he said he, he helped, George Martin helped us develop the language that allowed us to speak to other musicians. So it's, it's you know, all of, all, all of the Beatles went on, maybe not so much Ringo, but I think Ringo has a couple of production credits on his own records. But, um, you know, they developed their production techniques. Yes. With, from George Martin, I mean, and there's a very dis- distinctive style, and uh, particularly uh, George in 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 the stuff that he is doing for the Apple label. So he's he's not only influencing their music, but he's influencing their production style, uh, and they they take that into their solo career. So I think we're going to say George Martin is the closest thing to a fifth Beatle. If you have to do such petty ranking, if it's important to yeah. you, let's just uh, let's just say that George Martin really doesn't hold a candle to um to uh, to a lot of other people on our list in terms of being there and contributing and making the beatles the thing that we are still talking about today i think so i think that's a fair comment no, we answered the question. <laughs> so maybe we did get to the bottom of this but look i you know we, we the future i think we will revisit the life and times of brian epstein the life and times of george martin and there is a larger question at stake. Who is the sixth Beatle, the seventh Beatle, the eighth Beatle? You can make a top 100 uh, bunch of people who who have influenced the Beatles in some ways. You know, where does Bob Dylan sit on that list? Where does the 
I can I can see where, where you're going. Where does the dentist who gave them LSD live on that list? All of these people are somewhere in that uh, ranking of Beatles, and you know, uh, ranking and making lists is what most podcasts are all about anyway isn't it <laughs> it's, it's, it's what it's, it's it's what we do it's what um we do. but what do you think everybody do you have a notion of <laughs> who was the fifth beetle does it matter um maybe we're all beetles um let us know what you think we are as usual available in the normal places twitter at beetles pod is our handle there uh join us and follow us there we'll tweet you about episodes and what we're doing and any kind of interesting beetle uh, information that we can pass your way there's a uh, a private Facebook group. Uh, just search for Nothing Is Real Facebook group, or there's a link for it in our Twitter handle as well. And uh, Stephen is in control of that, and he'll let you in. Uh, we hope you uh, uh, continue to subscribe and download. If you're enjoying us, please leave a, a, a kind um, review wherever you like to get your podcasts. Um, but for now, I'm Jason Carty. I'm Stephen Cockcroft, and this has been Nothing Is Real. Thanks for listening. Nothing Is Real is powered by Acast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for listening to Nothing Is Real. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, why not become a member? You'll get access to ad-free content, bonus episodes, and so much more. Follow the link in the show notes, sign up on ACAST Plus, or visit our website, nothingisrealpod.com.